Hey everyone, welcome to Savage to Sage, where we explore the evolution of entrepreneurs. In this show, we hear from leaders on the challenges and breakthroughs that have shaped them on their journey toward becoming a sage. Welcome back everybody to Savage to Sage. I am Daniel, the host, and I am excited to be in a little podcast studio in the church that I once was married in about 10 years ago. That's now a co-working space here with my friend, Amy Oviedo. Welcome, Amy. Thanks, Daniel. I appreciate the invite. So Amy is the CEO and founder of Recruiting Experiences. And at Fullstack, we're lucky to be able to overlap and partner with Amy and her team. Amy, why don't you just tell us a bit about recruiting experiences and then also in the saturated world of recruiters, how do you differentiate? Absolutely. I founded the company in officially May of 2021 after a long career in corporate in-house recruiting. And what's really unique about us is we sit in that sweet spot between corporate in-house recruiters, which I will still tell all my clients is your best option if you can do it, and traditional contingency recruiters where you're paying a high per hire fee. We sit as contract recruiters. We work on a project basis. We partner with companies and we represent their brand as if we're working at their organization. Got it. So why, Amy, in 2021, jumping out and starting your own thing? Yeah, it was a, a long journey, I would say. I took a sabbatical back in 2018. And during that time, I read a book called Free to Focus. It's a Michael Hyatt book. Recommend it highly to anybody who's trying to find their next thing. And it spent a lot of time breaking down how you look at the things that you really love doing in your job and the things that you don't love doing in your job. Mm -hmm. So when I started to put those down on paper and spent some of that sabbatical time just thinking and walking and trying to come up with what my next phase would look like, I really determined that I wanted to go back to 100% talent acquisition focused role. The time I was sitting in a VP of HR role for an IT consulting firm amazing experiences, but there was at least 75% of my job that I no longer enjoyed. So it was a good opportunity to look at how do I take the things I love about a human resources career, which was talent acquisition, learning and development, and put that into something that I could own and really build in the way that I thought recruiting should be done and bring that to market. So fast forward through the pandemic and there was a time at which it made sense for me to go ahead and exit my current organization. I had time to do some building. And for anybody who was sitting in a jar role during the pandemic, you know, there was an extreme amount of compassion fatigue, and I definitely had it. So it was a good time for me to step out of that more traditional HR space and really build something on the recruiting side. I love it. That's an awesome story. And sabbatical, it's not something you hear from someone every day, especially that came from the corporate world. Usually you hear sabbatical from people in kind of nonprofit roles or in education. So was that policy your company had or was that something you took on your own? How did that happen? Yeah. So Kinney Group, where I was prior, they offered a every five year sabbatical. So I took that just after my fifth year that I had been there. I went to Costa Rica for four weeks. I did a Spanish immersion learning program and uh, spent a lot of time soul searching. And then the last week of my trip was all sightseeing and my family came out to join me. Nice. 
Costa Rica is a great place for soul searching as well yes, as sightseeing. So it was. I'm looking yeah. forward to going back. Yeah, I actually spent a semester abroad there in college, so but that's for another day. Um, <laughs> but yeah, that's awesome. I push as many companies as I can possible to have a sabbatical policy just because I at age how old was I? 30, 31, I took my first sabbatical at the organization that I was a part of. And it's just like, why aren't more people doing this? Just the refreshment as well as the clarity that it brought was significant. But then also, I mean, for you, it seems like it led to realizing maybe this role isn't long-term for me and maybe I'm going to jump into something new. That's the danger that I think companies take or organizations take is if people take a break from what they're doing, sometimes it's like, oh, it might be my time to leave. And I found that out during this paid sabbatical. Right. It is a danger for sure. Like so many perks, there's always a downside. We found in our data that 50% of people came back energized, ready to do the next thing. Mm -hmm. And we also had a huge amount of people who left around three years. But if we could get someone past three years, they stayed till five. So we were gaining extra time on the front side of those sabbaticals. Mm. And that was maybe the bonus that we could tie back to you know, the expense involved in giving somebody a month off. For me personally, it gave me the opportunity to have that grown up conversation with the executives at my company to say, hey, I want to do this other thing. It's not immediate. But I want to take some time and think about that. And are you all supportive? And they were super supportive, came on as my first customer as well. So it doesn't get better than that. That's awesome. I wasn't planning to go on this strain of conversation, but I think about our mutual connections of Brian and Stephanie Neal. They have a value for their team. It's called tour of duty. And I think that's very important when we think of talent acquisition too, because a lot of times it seems like we're heavy handed and like, in the recruiting process and the interviewing process of how long can we get this person to stay? We put this undue pressure on the candidate of like, we're trying to figure out, is this person going to leave after a year like everyone else? Or could we look for those characteristics of someone that's going to stay five to seven years and make a huge impact? But with Brian and Stephanie's idea there, I mean, it's a military metaphor of like, Mm -hmm. you're here for a tour of duty we're here to support you while you're here, but we're going to have these regular check-ins to see how you're doing and what can we do to, you know, expand your tour of duty or is, has it become clear it's time for you to move on? So I'm just curious your thoughts on that, especially as it relates to if you were to give advice to employers in the hiring and recruiting process of that particular concept. And as they're talking to candidates, Absolutely. I've read the book, The Alliance, which is Reid Hoffman, in case the founder of LinkedIn also wrote that book that talks about bringing that military thing into the corporate workforce. And what's really fascinating about it is the mutual agreement that you have with the employee and the employer then when you can just have an upfront conversation to say, hey, we want to teach you these things. We want you in two years or three years, whatever agreement you come to to walk away with these skills. And we understand that means you might walk to another organization, but how can we invest in you and you invest in us for this period of time we have together? And Mm -hmm. that's a really beautiful thing if you can pull it off, right? And then decide at the end of that period, is there a next thing that they can still learn in your organization? And maybe you refocus that. We had a lot of luck 
specifically with engineers doing that path and looking at what other skills did they want to gain. It wasn't about just do this one skill and master it and then move on. You could move on within the company to another team and, and bring that internal knowledge with you. The other piece of that, when we're talking with hiring managers about making those decisions and we all have that natural bias of, oh, well, if they left 18 months last time, they're going to do it again. And we really just encourage our hiring managers, whether it's specific to tenure or anything else they see on the resume, ask the question. Because when we make those assumptions for people, we often miss out on what they're really trying to achieve or what they really want to bring to your organization. I just love the kind of that open-handedness, abundance mindset that that brings about. Mm -hmm. So going back to the normal path that I like to dig into with people that I interview, you learn a lot about yourself in what we call the savage days of entrepreneurship. So think, you know, when you're first standing up the company, probably working super long hours and you've got to get everything together so that you can actually deliver on your first clients. And then I know you added new team members pretty quick. So describe what those savage days were like for you. And then, you know, what did you learn about yourself? It was a ride for sure. I officially opened the doors in May. I did have some building time before that to get things established and build a sales process and all those things. What I found as soon as I started is a lot of things I thought were important that I invested energy into in my prep days, I probably could have skipped or postponed. I just didn't know it until I knew it. And then I found myself doing these little things that every time I wanted to do something required me to learn a new skill. So something as simple as sending an invoice I have never been an accountant. I have a very high financial acumen, but I've never had to deal with the details of it. Mm -hmm. So it was me watching YouTube videos and teaching myself QuickBooks and figuring out every little step along the way. And that sucked up a lot of time mm -hmm. <laughs> over the course of those first few months, just learning to do the little things. And now I have the luxury of delegating more and more of those things. But I also feel like there's something good about learning each little step and figuring it out, even though it was painful. And I created some late nights and asking my husband for help or jumping in to edit the website for us, all those kind of things. I don't know that you can prepare in the right way for that first entrepreneur's journey. But for me, it was like track my time, figure out exactly where I'm spending my energy so I knew what to do next and what help I could go find to fill in some of those gaps and make sure that I was really staying focused on building the core product offering and serving our customers every day. What about those things that you as a person or a leader, those deeper self-awareness realizations? So I think of like both the things that you're like, wow, I didn't know that about myself. And now that I'm running my own company, I'm learning. And then also those things like, oh, that's the dark side or the shadow side that I'm not really glad that's coming into the light. But I have to deal with that all the same. Like, what are a couple examples of those? I think when you start a business in your 40s, you've learned some of that along the way already. Yeah. So I did have the luxury, I guess, of kind of knowing myself and not trying to figure that out while I was doing it. Mm -hmm. So I know and every assessment I've ever taken will tell you the same thing. I'm a really patient, loyal, steady person. That's not typically who you hire into an executive role in a startup organization. Right. You look for people with that high sense of urgency with their hair on fire. And so I knew how to turn that on when I needed to, but it was actually very peaceful and calming for me to know 
I know I've achieved a lot of things by following this steady path. And it's okay to lean into that and not go insane trying to do everything on day one. So I was able to use that to my advantage to some extent. I also have a high trust factor for other people, which certainly has bitten me a handful of times Mm -hmm. in my career. But having that ability to bring people in and trust that they were going to do the right thing and I could give them the right tools served me really well. On the flip side of that, some of the blind spots that I had were I had never been in a customer-facing role. I had always served in an internal HR or recruiting function with the exception of one year in agency recruiting early career. Mm -hmm. So really learning to manage customer expectations well, to set those expectations well, that was a harder learning curve for me in those early days. I just had to remember that a lot of the what I would call customer-facing things, I had done, they were just internal customers. So I had to remember to put that same hat on mm-hmm. and just change a little bit of the way I was setting expectations early and following up on those and being more intentional in my communication. As we talk about building you know, products or services and that being obviously what helps a business be a business, but then setting expectations with people is so key to being successful. It's like you can have a great product or a great, you know, at least a great idea of a service, but you have misaligned expectations that it breaks down quickly. Also, I think just generally in our culture of entrepreneurship, I mean, it sounds like you have a different wiring, very similar to mine, as you described it for your typical person in like Mm -hmm. entrepreneurial space, but still like there's a lot required of you it's a fast pace. There's a lot of work. And I'd say that characteristics of people in that space that are successful are also learning, how do I care for the most important parts of me? I call it the soul, like the deepest parts of our true self. What have you found, whether it's within the workday or it's outside of the workday that has helped you to care for yourself, feed your soul, so you can kind of keep going? Throughout my career, it's been getting time alone in nature, going for a walk, all those things are things that recharge me. So I'm used to taking that time away. I found myself through last summer, which was really our building phase, I had completely dropped almost all of my regular routines and it really hit me hard. It had been probably about four months of no more than 10 minutes of regular activity every day. And that was a huge change for me and just the way that I lived every day. So I really had to step back intentionally and ask for help, ask my team to create some space in my calendar for me to get those things in, ask for help at home. How can we cover some of the pickups and those things to make sure that I could get a minute away, but still do the things I wanted to do in the business and grow with the way I wanted to without driving myself into a lack of sleep and energy and all the things that probably every entrepreneur goes through. But for me, it was having come from an HR career where you say that to people all the time, like take care of yourself and Mm -hmm. to be living it and not listening to anything I had ever said out loud was really hard to come to terms with. And it took a couple months to really turn around and get back to a place where I felt like I had little bit of a routine again and could build some of that in. I also knew I was going to start this business someday. For me, someday was when my daughter went off to college. I have a 16-year-old. 
So there were a lot of times that I had to say to her, hey, I'm not going to be able to do as many one-on-one things with you as we've been doing the past few years. And that was a hard decision at home, but she's also really supportive. You know, she sent me a note today (laughs) addressed to businesswoman, please help me with my resume because she needs to get a job. Those things I know she'll remember, like mom did this cool thing and she talks about it in that way. Mm -hmm. So I'm proud of that. But it was also a hard thing to figure out how are we going to change our home life to Mm -hmm. adapt to different hours and different responsibilities. Yeah, I'm wondering about that. Like, what would you say was key for that? Because most of the people I talk to are in our age range where we have young kids or teenage Mm -hmm. kids and we're juggling starting growing a new business with them and especially when they've been accustomed to a different pace or different availability or accessibility they have with their parents like what what would you say is a piece of advice you'd give or something that you've done that's worked well what's worked for me is just letting people around me know what i needed so she ran track this spring she just had her last meet last week i put every meet on my calendar with buffer time for driving I made sure nothing got scheduled. Like those were considered sacred times for my team. I asked my teammates to take things that came up at the last minute that would have interfered with those. But any way that you can protect your own time and your family time, whether it's just visibly in your calendar, like marking things as out of office and then honoring those. Or for me, more importantly, was like really communicating with my daughter and my spouse on, okay, this is what I can do. This is what I can't do. How can we fill these gaps and who else can jump in and help out? That's good. Yeah. Intentional, proactive communication is kind mm-hmm. of what I hear there. I guess we probably are more reactive and unintentional and just wait for things to happen. But, you know, it's like if that doesn't happen, then you have to unload a bunch of things off of your calendar to be able to like do what's most important to you. And that right. takes a lot of work and emotional energy. So it's a lot of unnecessary stress when you just don't speak your intentions up front. Mm-hmm. So when you do and people get accustomed to that as well, they know what to look for and how to yeah. help. Yeah, for sure. So you've obviously quickly in the last year, you've gone from just yourself to now, is it 10 people you have on your team? We have a team of eight right now. Okay. We'll have 13 by June 1. We're in May already. Yeah. How'd that happen? I told someone yesterday, I was like, I can't keep asking people how their year has started. (laughs) For some reason, I'm still kind of in that first few weeks of the the year, but it's already May. So that's pretty rapid growth. What would you say as you look for those key team members? I mean, most entrepreneurs have built this model around this is the way that I think is best from what I've learned on how to do this. But then as you've grown as quickly as you do, you have to quickly like hand that over to other people that you trust. So like, what are you looking for in in terms of characteristics of those early team members? So first off, I hired a couple of key lieutenants that I felt like could manage anything I threw their way and could fill some of the gaps that I had where I just didn't have as much expertise. So I hired a marketing and ops manager who just fills in all kinds of random project things. And that's been a really nice addition. On the recruiting side, I intentionally went out and hired very inexperienced talent. I didn't want to retrain recruiting. I feel like there are so many bad recruiting firms in the world. It would be harder to get somebody to unlearn those Mm -hmm. bad habits than to just teach someone from the ground up. And as I said before, 
my passion areas were recruiting and training and development. So in building the business, I get to do both. And I intentionally went to hire people who we could train into recruiting roles and would grow with us. And we're already starting to see that happen. They teach each other now. Mm. I'm still there for training and development. We have a certification program that we sell for new recruiters. So we teach that internally as well. So we have some good building blocks, but it takes people who are willing to learn and willing to fail, more importantly, Mm. to really build something like this from the ground up. And I'm very open with our customers as well. They're not getting a 10-year recruiter. They're getting somebody who is solely focused on filling their jobs and is doing it in a current trend way versus the old traditional recruiting Mm -hmm. that unfortunately just hasn't worked for a lot of companies, especially in this tough hiring period. Like that. And we'll have to talk offline about as I'm hiring for my sales team. It's like, that's the exact advice I receive. Like 99% of the time, don't hire someone that has a lot of industry experience because like unlearning bad Mm -hmm. habits, especially with what we're trying to do of going against the grain a little bit. So you said you want someone that's open to failure and learning from it. So how do you discover that in interview process? Like what questions are you asking or is it intuition? How do you discover that? There's an old TED talk about uh, candidates who are scrappy. And that's what I've been interviewing for. People who had to fight for what they have, who came through some adversity, who don't on paper look like the perfect candidate. And some of them do, right? I have some great new grads coming out of terrific HR programs. Like that's the profile. But I also looked for people who had to pay their own way through college, who had to have some yuck jobs over the years, who lost their jobs or their college opportunities in the middle of the pandemic and had to rebuild and regroup. So just looking for people who maybe are getting overlooked by others has been my strategy and it's been really successful so far because when somebody comes in with something to prove, they will... 100% of the time, work harder than someone who had things handed to them over the years. Scrappy. That's a good word. I was thinking of the word grit too, which is pretty similar. So I'm sure you have values that like undergird recruiting experiences. What are a few of those values and how do they come to be? I'll speak to two of them. Reliability. And if you've ever worked with an external recruiter, you'll know why. Every person you ask about their last recruiting experience will say, They were left hanging. They never heard back. They had a great interview, but never got any feedback why they didn't get the job. So we've just taken that and made it a core focus. We will get back to people. We will tell them what's going on. We'll represent the brands well so that people do have a positive experience at the end of the day, because especially in consumer facing brands, a bad recruiting experience, Mm -hmm. you can lose a customer. Besides the employee that you've lost, you likely can lose pieces of your own brand and customers who wouldn't come to you in the future. Mm -hmm. So that's a huge part of what we do. And then we really back that up with kindness. We offer our services where we can to job seekers who are really struggling. We'll help them write a resume, get them some interview prep tips. And then just remembering that the job search process from the other side of the table is terrible. Everyone hates it. It's a full-time job. And when you need a job, the last thing you want to be told is 200 no's in a row. So if we can be that 199th no that gives you a little advice that gets you to yes the next time, we want Mm -hmm. to take the time to do that. That's powerful. And I actually recently 
recorded a show with Scott Abbott, who's with he's the owner of Stratico's and has the Moments to Momentum podcast. And he was asking you, what are those two stories that are like your were your key moments to momentum? And it was before I started with Full Stack, I was making a career pivot. And I would say that I hadn't had everything handed to me, but my career path like followed this logical progression. I had a master's degree. I was having a really hard time just finding the next thing. Mm -hmm. And it was people like you and your team along the way that I call my transition angels that had no business helping me that did. And in a lot of cases, there was really nothing in it for them besides they saw something in me or in the situation that they just wanted to invest and offer me something. And so it was a very vulnerable and it was a depressing time too to have like get so many rejections or just not hearing anything. So to have people like your team that's putting that good out into the world, I mean, I was a huge beneficiary from that. That's awesome. So how do you keep those values living? Because I think what happens as a company grows and has to focus on the core business, it just becomes like, oh, it's the poster on the wall that from that strategic session we did last year where we named our values and did a rah-rah about them. And now, you know, they're just up there on the wall. Like, how do you make sure those are living? One way is we interview against them. So if we're hiring for our own team, we will make sure to ask questions around each of the four core values so that we're really telling the stories over and over again. So while it's a great way to vet somebody, it also gives the team that chance to keep talking about it. We talk about it during sales process as well. One of our core values is simplicity, trying to make the hiring process simpler for our clients. So that's a very tangible way we can show someone how to do that and how to make their process more stomachable on the other side for their candidates. Those are some of the easy ways. The harder ones are the recognition. I'm not naturally somebody who runs around saying rah-rah and great job. But I really am intentional about doing it with this team to say, hey, I saw what you did there. And that was a great representation of our values. Can you write a blog about it? Can you share with the teammate how you did that or why you made that choice? So just giving them the platform to share with each other as well. So the final thing I wanted to hit on was, and I've heard you say pieces of this throughout, but Liz Wiseman wrote a book called Multipliers, and it's how do we multiply the talents on our team and be that a multiplying presence versus a diminishing presence. So I'm just curious in terms of multiplying yourself and having to give up all these things that you did before to, to get this thing off the ground. What has been key to you in delegating and multiplying yourself? It's been being realistic about what I can do and what maybe needs to wait till later. So I have a journal where I keep great ideas that I don't have time for right now. That's one easy way to just not overextend. The other piece is really trusting people. Dom, who started with me in July, he was one of our first full-time hires. I threw him into an interview at four o'clock on his first day because I was out of hours. There was no way I was going to get it done. So either I cancel on the guy or I let the new guy figure it out. So I let him figure it out. He did fine. I gave him a script. He was nervous, right? But he got through it and we were able to get enough information for the candidate to then submit them onto our customer. He'll tell that story now, Dom will, about that was scary. I didn't know what I was doing, but there was nothing dangerous. There were no 
tigers coming to eat him. He just had to do it. And you have to, as a leader, be willing to let people mess that up. If he messed up one interview, it wouldn't be the end of the world. So just letting people fall on their face now and again, and then picking them up when you need to, dusting them off, talking about the lessons and moving on to the next one. That is not easy to do when something's your baby, right? You're building this thing and you want everything to go perfect. It's never going to go perfect anyway. And whether it's me overextending myself and messing something up or me letting somebody who's maybe not quite ready jump in, we're still going to get the work done and we're going to be fine. We're going to learn from it and we're going to move on to the next thing. I needed that piece of advice probably <laughs> more than all of our listeners does. So I'm just taking that in, soaking it in. So, okay. you know, first person to my sales team at full stack, it's that's something I needed to hear. So thank you. So to end, I like to do a lightning round. Two questions. One is if you could do one thing for an hour or maybe during the day, four hours on a weekend that would recharge your battery more than anything else. What would you choose to do? I'd go for a walk in the park. I have several favorite parks around town. So that's always my go-to. And even if I'm doing it with music or a podcast in my ear, just being out without the sounds of the laptop and the phones ringing and all of that is always recharging. The second piece is a lot of folks that are listening are like, they're either new entrepreneurs or they're aspiring entrepreneurs that are seeking advice. And so based on your experience, what would be that key piece of advice? Like and I'm saying like soundbite, you know, prioritize this for that person that's just stepping out or thinking of stepping out. The thing I did that really paid off for me and I've been telling everybody else to do is I asked for help. I reached out to my network before I opened to say, hey, I'm thinking about this. Can I run this idea past you? Can you help me with that? Can you help me with this? Without exception, people said yes, especially when I gave a direct ask of something I really needed or an introduction to someone. And if I didn't ask, nobody's going to come around and say, hey, Amy, how can I help you today? But when you ask, people show up. And especially if you have built a network that you can count on, right? Because those people know they can count on you in return. So mm -hmm. that would be my advice, along with just really putting your abundance hat on. I have other recruiting professionals that I rely on all the time for help. There is plenty of business for all of us. We're not mm -hmm. in competition with each other. Mm -hmm. We all bring something different to the market and we can serve each other better together than we can by trying to create space between us. That's good. I like that friendly competitor mindset. So awesome. Well, if people want to get in touch with you and recruiting experiences, where would you point them? The best place is our website, recruitingex.com. You'd find everything about us there. LinkedIn as well. We're recruiters. We live on LinkedIn yeah. multiple hours a day. So you can connect with me there, Amy Oviedo. Awesome. Well, thanks so much for your time and your insights today, Amy. Thanks, Daniel. Thank you for listening to today's interview. To view show notes or hear more episodes, please visit www.savagetosage.com.